with that. All right, let's jump right into the text this morning. I want to start from a se- with a sentence uh, from Jesus right out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. It's very down at the very bottom of the page, 682, um, verse 28. This might be considered a command of Jesus. That would be legitimate because it is a directive. Some would consider this a teaching of Jesus because he's rolling out a set of instructions. I would encourage you to see it as an invitation from Jesus because he's literally inviting us into a certain way of living, invite us into, inviting us into a quality of experience. So here at the end of this long section of Jesus' teachings, we're talking about a couple of chapters, 10, 11, all these red letters where Jesus is just like going, covering a ton of material. Here at the very end, this is what he says. This is what Matthew records him saying in uh, chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is using a word that means two things there, both kind of the oxen yoke, like carrying on this weight, and also a a teacher's yoke was their teachings. It was their their material. It was their perspective. It was like the set of what they brought, um, their their perspective and teachings specifically about the Torah or the, the writings in the Old Testament, which was their scripture. And so Jesus is saying, take my teachings upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. sermon today is called Rest. And I want to focus on this first verse that we just read. I'll read it once more. Jesus says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so I wonder this morning, when was the last time you rested? And I don't mean like sat on the couch, put your feet up, watched a football game like I'm going to do in a little bit. Um, I don't mean even when was the last time you went on vacation. I mean, when was the last time that you came to Jesus as the true lover of your soul because you were weary and because you were burdened? When was the last time that you came to him with this sense of the responsibilities are weighing me down, the disappointments are laying me low, my heart is heavy, and I'm just so tired, so I'm coming before you, Jesus. When's the last time you brought your cares, your sadnesses, your worries, your fears, and you just kind of dumped them out before Jesus like too many groceries? And you did what Peter says, you cast your cares upon Christ out of this conviction that Jesus cares for you and you almost can't juggle it anymore and so you lay it all out before him. When was the last time that happened? I wonder. I wonder, how long do you typically trudge along on your own strength before you finally decide, "I I probably should go to God with this? I wonder, how long do you try to carry it all? The family stuff and the work stuff, and the business stuff, and the kids stuff, and the school stuff, and the future stuff, all on your shoulders? How long does it take for you typically before you bend a knee before God, all weary and burdened, so that He can give you rest? The word rest here is really fascinating. It's kind of a new word for me. I read about it this week. The word is anapowo. Sounds like a comic book 
or something. Anapowo. Um, and, and this is what it means. The, the first part is ana, means back. And the second part, powo, is, is the, we get from that word, we get the root of our word pause. And so you might say that it means to cause, to pause. Not forever, but just for a little while, for a short season. It's actually an agricultural word used. Farmers would anapowo a certain area of ground. They'd, they'd sow sort of a lighter crop, give it a season of rest so that they weren't demanding such intense productivity out of that piece of land, at least for a short time. There are three ideas built into this one word that we translate rest, and I don't know what rest feels like or sounds like to you, so let's try to get into this, the, the deeper meaning of this word as it's attempted to be translated into English. The first idea built into this word rest is that it's temporary. Uh, we might communicate it like this, why don't you take a break why don't you step back? Why don't you take a breath? We might say it something like that. So the word carries this idea that of a rest that is temporary. It also carries this idea of rest that is given, that is provided. One source defines the word anapao like this, to cause or to permit one to cease from labor or movement. I remember when I was a kid, we had this little piece of property, and I was always, on Saturdays, I'd spend Saturdays out working with my dad, and we were always doing something like building barns or fences or running trenches for, um, for sprinklers or splitting wood or weed eating or mowing or something. And these, it was just sort of understood, at least this is how I remember it. Um, you can ask him if I'm right. Uh, it was just sort of understood that you just work all day. You just work all day. And uh, I don't ever remember being like, hey, I'm just going to go do my own thing for a bit. It just kind of was an unspoken rule. It's a work day. It's Saturday. We're all working on the... But every once in a while, my mom would come out with these big, huge mason jars full of ice water, and she'd, and th- she'd give them to us. And that was like the universal recognized sign. It's time to take a break. It was great, right? It's time to take a break. Like, Mom's here with water. We can all kind of sit back and take a break. It was being offered... Like a, like a glass of water. So the word anapao refers to a rest that is temporary. It refers to a rest that is offered or that is given. And then a third idea is there's the sense of purpose in this temporary pause. And the purpose of this kind of rest is to recover your strength. Like you've been doing something hard, now take a break in order to... Because you're not done, right? It's in order to be refreshed. In fact, in some places in the, in the New Testament, the word is translated, be refreshed. That's how they translate it. So here's another attempt to define this word in English. To give intermission from labor. To give rest. To refresh. Just a side note, because I think it's fascinating. Other than the few places in the New Testament where this word anapowo shows up, it also shows up on early Christian, ancient Christian gravestones. Isn't that interesting? Indicating their deep belief in the resurrection and their perspective that death is just a temporary break, right? It's just a short break, a rest from, from their labor. I think that's awesome. So here in Matthew 11, Jesus is literally issuing an invitation to everybody who can hear me kind of thing. Like up on the hill, up on the mountain, he's calling out to the crowds and he's saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you anapowo, I will give you rest. Or we might say, I will give you a temporary break so that you can be refreshed. That's the invitation, that's the offer. And so I wonder again... 
When was the last time you took Christ up on that? In other words, well, I'm like, I thought about it for myself this week. When was the last time I came to prayer, not because it was my regular discipline, not because it's a healthy habit, not because I was seeking direction and I needed, uh, I needed clarity, and not because I needed blessing, but when was the last time I just kind of crumbled at the side of my bed before the Lord and said, I am so tired. I am so overwhelmed with the responsibilities and the decisions that I feel I need to make and, and, and just sought refreshment for my soul. When was the last time I did that? Like a glass of cold water for my soul, right? In the middle of a hot Saturday of work. For the last month, we've been talking about some of the basics of the Christian faith and the concept that we've rehearsed over and over again is this. You never outgrow the basics been a five-week series, and it's probably um, brought up several things. Uh, I, I hope it has at least. One of the things is there's, there's probably a lot of things we should outgrow. We definitely do outgrow some things, and some things we should outgrow, like sucking your thumb is something you should outgrow. That's cute for like two days, and then it's really kind of gross after that, right? Don't suck your thumb forever. Outgrow that. Uh, yelling mine is something you should outgrow. Any kind of other kind of expression of selfishness that you're so bold as to speak, right? Uh, chore charts where stickers are used as incentives. At some point, you should outgrow that, John. If we're still using chore, chore charts in your 80s, we, we got to talk, right? We, we want to move past that. Um, taking your ball and going home, you should outgrow that. And other relational dysfunctions uh, that are similar to that. But there are some things that are so basic. I mean, they're just so elementary. You never, out, you never outgrow them. You might neglect them. Uh, you might forget them, but you never outgrow them. In other words, you never develop, you never mature to a point where you no longer need certain things. Some things, yes, but other things, no, you just, you just don't outgrow them. And some of the things are so essential, like tying your shoes. They're just basic. You never outgrow them. So the last basic that I'm arguing that we never outgrow, uh, I want to wrap the series up with this. You never outgrow your need for God. You never outgrow that. You never mature to a point where you get beyond that. You never outgrow your basic need for God. And I think that the reason, or maybe one of the reasons, why it may have been a long time since you took Jesus up on his invitation to come to him in your weariness and in your burdens so that he could give you rest, is that you are living as though you have outgrown your need for God. And you would say, oh no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that I outgrow my need for God. But you and I, we struggle with living as though we have. We, we struggle with living on a practical level as if we don't need God. This is the way we, I got it. I can handle it, right? I can take care of that. Just got to man up, right? It's just mom life. This is what it takes. This is what it's required of me. I just got to keep like barreling forward. Listen, working hard is godly. Working hard is godly. Finding creative solutions to real problems that's evidence that you were created in the image of God. That's beautiful. Finding solutions to problems. Living in such a way that you sacrifice your comfort for the sake of someone else. That's Jesus-y. 
That's exactly what he does. These are good things, but we cross the line, I think, from holy to unhealthy. We cross the line from powerful to prideful when we live as though we don't need God. When we live as though we can do it ourselves. We never outgrow our basic need for God. We should never outgrow it. So four thoughts about that. First, the assertion that we never outgrow our need for God is, it's, it's like, comes right from the first page of the Bible. It comes right from Genesis 1, the idea that we are created. We are created. He's the creator. In the beginning, God created light and time and space and matter and life. And then the culmination of his creation, it's so good, is humanity made in the image of God. The way our existence begins emphasizes the reality of our dependence on another. We are created. We are dependent upon first our mother, maybe our father, and then ultimately on God. The assertion that we need God is rooted in the fact that we're created. And you've heard that a hundred times, haven't you? You've heard it a hundred times. Now, here's a second idea. Maybe you haven't heard this as often. First, we're created. Secondly, we're created with needs. We're created with needs. Like these needs are built in. They're hardwired. We were designed for dependence. Uh, we were made with certain legitimate and specific needs. Like a diesel engine, it was built to require and, to, and it can only run on a certain kind of fuel. Right? This is the way it's made. Which means, if this is the way you're made, this means needs are not a sign of weakness. They're not. Needs are not a sign of weakness. You were created with needs. Nor are needs evidence of sin and brokenness. In other words, needs did not enter the story after the fall of man as a result of sin. Needs are not like cancer or disease, an unintended consequence of sin that's now just part of the broken and fallen world. No, we were designed with needs. We were created with needs, which means needs are good. Needs are good. It's the, it's the ways we attempt to address those needs that are often fallen and broken and confused and unhealthy and twisted and sinful and selfish. The way we try to address those needs, the needs themselves, at least some needs, are good. They're created. In other words, the world is full of people trying to fulfill legitimate, created needs like the need for food, uh, like the need to belong, like the need for meaning in all kinds of illegitimate ways, all kinds of destructive ways. They're built with this hunger, but they're trying to fill that hunger. They're trying to address that hunger in all kinds of confused ways. But the needs themselves, the true needs, they're part of how we were created. The needs themselves are not faults. They are not weaknesses. They're good. That's challenging to get our heads around because that's not the way we typically feel about those kinds of things. All right, here's a third idea about never outgrowing our need for God. We're finite. 
This is related to being created, but it's different in the sense that we are finite, especially in regard to our abilities. Our abilities are finite. God's abilities are infinite, limitless. But we are limited in all ways. We're limited physically. We're limited intellectually. We're limited spiritually. We're limited emotionally. We're limited morally. We're dealing constantly with these limits, which means we're never going to outgrow our need for help. We're never going to outgrow it. We will continually, all through our life, run into situations and needs that are beyond our ability to handle by ourselves. Constantly. This is just going to be part of the way it is. Because you don't have everything. You don't. And you don't know everything. And you can't do everything. Right? We're finite. Last Sunday, after church, a couple came up to me and they said, would you pray for us? Because we've got this major surgery coming up this week. And... Uh, you know, when you become aware of, your, um, of a physical problem that you can't fix yourself, and it's clear that you can't you have no way of treating, treating this kind of thing yourself, it's natural then to ask for help. So you, you call up somebody, you, uh, you get an appointment with a skilled surgeon, and then you start realizing the surgeon needs help, so you come to your pastor and you ask, would you pray for us and pray for the surgeon? Right? There's the physical needs, there's the emotional needs that start to kind of intensify as the time grows closer. You're feeling these limits, and so we pray for help, we pray for peace. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Why? Because we're finite. It makes sense. We are limited. What doesn't make sense is this idea, I can do it by myself. I can do it alone. Now let's just look at an extreme example and make the point. How are you going to do heart surgery on yourself? right? It's not possible. You, some things you just can't do by yourself. Some of us have gotten really, really good at accomplishing things, and so we've pretty much convinced ourselves that we can pull stuff off. But, um, but in the end, there are limits. Several times in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, uh, the writer says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I imagine uh, most of you here at some level acknowledge the existence of God, but probably all of us here wrestle on a practical level with fierce independence, fierce independence. Or maybe you would, you know, you'd call it something else, uh, stubborn pride potentially. But this propensity to lead, to like launch into our work without any kind of recognition of God's presence with us, or this, this tendency to engage in this ongoing challenge of parenting with very little prayer involved, like we got this, like I can take care of it myself, I can handle it. To a degree it's true, isn't it? To a degree it's true. You're probably pretty amazing. You're probably pretty skilled. Many of you are really educated. You've got amazing experience. There's some things that you can do so well, you can do them in your sleep. You could set up a clinic, right? And these are the things that you end up leading with. These are the things you talk about. These are the things that you identify. These are the abilities that get associated with you and your name. Sometimes you introduce yourself with this set of abilities because the reality is you're amazing at some things. People pay you to do a few things things. And then there's all those other things, right? And I would imagine that if we asked those who knew you really well, they would say, oh yeah, they're good at a few things. And for the rest of things, they need God's help bad, right? We all need God's help because there's a few things I can do. And most things, it's really obvious to people, I need help. And that's not an insult. That's the truth. Okay? Not being negative. I'm just being honest. It's trying to be. 
Part of not outgrowing our need for God is being honest about our limits. We are finite beings. So what we've said so far is this. We are created with needs. We are finite, specifically our abilities are finite. Now let's talk about the purpose for that. The last idea gets to the purpose of that, which is fulfillment. We are finite to be filled. Our abilities are finite in order that they can be addressed by another. In other words, God's design is not only that we will be limited and have needs, but God's design is to meet those needs, is to provide for those needs, is ultimately to personally fulfill those needs. So we experience hunger because we need food, and we experience thirst because we need water, and we get tired because we need rest, and those are legitimate needs. They're attached and built in from the beginning. I can only survive so long without water and food and rest. And the story of God in his graciousness, it includes all kinds of examples of God meeting those real needs for food and for water and rest and companionship and direction and those kinds of things. And then beyond that, beyond the physical needs, Jesus comes to be the fulfillment of our ultimate needs. The things that all our physical needs are kind of waking us up about. In other words, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, at least, with real bread and real fish. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Right? So we just had a little object lesson about hunger being addressed with food. And now he says, and in a sense, the fulfillment is, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Jesus says he's the living water. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary. I will give you rest. Okay, so the question is, are you weary because your real and legitimate needs are pressing in? They're looming large. They're weighing you down. Are you burdened with responsibilities and obligations and worries and fears that you were actually not ever designed to carry by yourself? Is that why? Is that why you're feeling so exhausted? Because you're trying to carry stuff that you just weren't designed to carry on your own. And then the mess, that's the question. And then the message is we were designed to live this life in healthy dependence on God. That's the way we were wired. We were designed for this, to live in healthy dependence on God. This is the way we were created. So Jesus says, take my yoke, take my teaching upon you. In other words, embrace this idea. Embrace this truth. I will carry your burdens for you. I will welcome you in your weariness, not in your achievement and your height of success and, oh man, you're so impressive. I'll welcome you in your weariness. Come to me, bring it all to me, pour it out before me like a bag of groceries and let me give you rest. That's the invitation, but sometimes it's like we can't even hear it, isn't it? We can't even hear Jesus, his voice, because 
Life's just so loud, right? The machines are going, the tools are working, the hammers are hammering, the kids are yelling. It's like when you, I don't know if you ever use a chainsaw, you're down with this chainsaw. It's all that's happening in your life because you can't hear or see anything else. You're right here. And it's like Jesus comes right up, gets like has to force his way into our vision with like a cup of cold water. Hey, hey, it's time to take a break. It's time to rest. All these burdens you're carrying on yourself, bring them to me. Let me give you rest. You weren't meant to do this alone. Okay? That fierce independence that we Americans are trained to and is glorified, it'll be glorified all afternoon in, in advertisements, or maybe it's stubborn pride, but that's the result of the fall. That fierce independence, that's the brokenness in you. The, the needs aren't the problem. Okay. The limits in your life are not the problem. Jesus invites us, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, so I can give you rest. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Let me end this series by telling you how it started. This is just a personal story that I hope is helpful to you. As some of you know, I spent some of the summer living with monks in a monastery in Italy. And uh, I shared, when I returned, I shared with you um, in the fall that especially that first week at the monastery, it was really difficult for me. And when I say it was difficult, I mean it was difficult on a couple of levels. First, it was just really difficult because of the intensity of the physical challenges, which was kind of surprising to me. But I was constantly tired, constantly hungry, they rarely ate, and I was pretty much uncomfortable. <laughs> and, you know, we've all done a pretty good job customizing our life uh, for the sake of our comfort. And, and, and so there were these surface challenges, which were really just cracks in my desire to control. That's what they were. But those cracks, they revealed a deeper thing that was happening inside me um, that became increasingly clear, this unusual physical discomfort made it unusually clear, friends, that I was selfish and judgmental and I wanted to be included and didn't really feel included and that was bothering me like I was in seventh grade and I was battling temptation. And that was hard for me recognizing that was hard for me. I was like, why was it hard for me? Because subconsciously, but in actuality, I believed I was kind of over that stuff. That's why I believed I'd kind of moved on from some of that stuff. Are you kidding me? You're feeling insecure? You're 46? I kind of felt like I had moved beyond that. And so when I got back, I met with um, this minister that I've met with for 20 years. I meet with him several times a year, and I sat down with him and I confessed these things to him. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, well, Nate, there's two options here, two logical options. One, you've regressed. You've spiritually lapsed. You've backslidden. You've turned your back on God. Or you're continuing to move forward. <laughs> and then he said, have you turned away from God? Because he asks me honest, direct questions. And I said, no, I, I love God, and I, I'm 
very intentional about serving God, and I, I want to submit to God. I don't I love God. I don't think I've turned away from God. And he said, okay, well then facing your pride and your insecurities and your temptations is part of moving forward on the journey. Jesus knows what you need in order to move forward. He said what you experienced was exactly what you needed to experience in order to keep you at the beginning. It's like... What does that mean? What do you mean at the beginning? I don't want to be at the beginning. I want to be at like square 78. You know, I want to be way ahead in Candyland. I don't want to be back in the beginning. What do you mean the beginning? And he said the beginning, but by the beginning I mean at the place of true dependence on God. You experienced what you needed to experience in order to place you in a place of true dependence on God, a place where growth is always, in a sense, new, which is required. Like, in order for growth to happen, there needs to be some sort of newness there, some sort of beginning there. That's where growth happens, in the new place, in the place where it's different than it's ever been before. And I said, well, you know what it feels like to me? It feels like I'm going back to the basics. And he said, look, he said, this experience that you just had reminded you of your need for God. He said, that's just basic, and you never outgrow the basics. (laughs) Yeah. Let's pray together. God, I want to ask that you crash in to our well-fortified positions of capability and expertise and remind us of our needs. And I pray for a sense of permission, only because I feel like we need it, to come to you in our weariness to bring you our burdens, to lay them down before you so that you can give us rest, which is what we really need. Forgive us, uh, Lord, for living. Forgive me for living in practical ways at times as though there is no God. And enable me increasingly, enable us to live in a healthy dependence on you. Thank you, Lord, for the rest that you offer to us. In Jesus' name, amen.